This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. For this figurehead's road, on into your town. Steal the keys to the kingdom, before burning it down. They put the rules and dirt before claiming it was stones Spill innocent blood, ignore the problems at home Professor executions Where the bodies on display Sweet hearts the institutions Just to have their own way When I ask you, look into my eyes You just walk away Learn about some million questions So you've got nothing to say well, not in my name, not in my tongue Not a very no punishment for your crimes When I see them bloody gallows Stand up in the pictures and I see them bloody gallows Just to have you to try Make me the light of God But not the light of man They teach you how to learn Not how to understand Mihi Nomen Est, Stella, at Hawk S. Backward the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 210 for August MMXX. 
XI. <laughs> Batgirl the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, bronze, and silver age. Gold, silver, bronze, and modern age. There we go. And over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics right to the shelves. So, if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Okay, well, I am alone this episode. I sort of warned everybody, I think, that I needed a break. I had done these two really big storylines with Donovan, and then Donovan, of course, was on the in-between as well with Batgirl and it was just the Donovan hour and I just needed a break from him from everything else. No. So it's just me. So I won't even jinx myself by saying, I hope this is that, da, 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 da. we'll just go with it with this. We're kind of back to basics, right? I'll be doing some Batgirl, some birds of prey, and then I'll swap over into the, the modern books as well. A bit of news. It was funny or ironic that Don and I were talking about the casting rumors that for Batgirl, the Batgirl film, that they had whittled it down to maybe five, I think. And there were three really big people, I guess, out on front. And I talked about, of course, my weird dislike of Zoe Deutsch, <laughs> just like a really superficial dislike and was all on board for Leslie Grace to, to be Batgirl. And guess what? The news is she is in fact Batgirl. I'm super excited about it. I think it's great that we have a person of color being Batgirl. I think I, way back when, you know, when I believe rumors were coming out about this film, people asked me, what would I like to see in a Batgirl? And really, I think the only thing I need for Batgirl, I even said that like Batgirl can be Barbara Gordon. Barbara Gordon, because I should be specific, Barbara Gordon can be any color, I think. All I wanted was the red hair, right? Which is interesting because there were some really weird remarks that people were saying that I would see on whatever social media post it was like, why wouldn't they pick a natural redhead? Da, 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 da. And I, when I say a red hair, I mean that, but I also feel like hair is the easiest thing to manipulate, whether it's a wig or it's dying color. So for some people, multiple people, anyone's going to have a problem with anything, but for people to say, we shouldn't have cast Leslie Grace because she doesn't have naturally red hair is ridiculous. <laughs> and potentially any other person that they had, I don't know that Zoe Deutsch necessarily is a natural redhead either. I think the only person that Kieran Gillen, is that her name? I remember that was like people were wanting her. She might be a natural redhead, but you're probably not going to find one anyways, but hair is so easy to manipulate that I think it'd be really cool. And I'm super excited. She's a Latina. I think that'll be great. I think an explanation should be in order if J.K. Simmons is, in fact, still in continuity in the DC EU continuity, her father, but that's super duper easy just to have a Latina be Barbara senior. So I'm super excited about it. I think that Leslie can either wear a wig 
a la Kate Kane if she really wanted to, or dye it completely red, or have kind of an auburn tint, or maybe just have fun red tips or something like that. So I'm totally down for it. I'm super excited. And as like a humble brag, I actually tweeted out this whole thing. I was just in the moment, wanted to say, guys, listen, hair is hair. It's so easy to manipulate. And let's zoom in a bit here. So I said, yeah, listen, hair can be dyed. Stop freaking out about it. It's so weird for someone to say they should have cast a redhead. And then I tagged her at Liz, Leslie Grace had various hairstyles in hashtag in the Heights movie. So I'm sure she'd be down for some highlights or more. And she actually liked my my tweet and tweeted back. I was a redhead once upon a time, which I, number one, just love the fact that she got the tweet and she tweeted back. And I love that she's completely on board. And then afterwards, I just said, like, see, you got this girl, uh, be the best babs that you can be. So I'm super excited about it. And that was just a nice, fun little thing. You always want somebody, especially someone that is now playing your favorite fictional character to uh, respond to you. And naively, I hope that that could maybe be a little doorway. I mean, it's years from now, but that would be so amazing to have Leslie Grace on my show, probably afterwards. I'm sure it's going to be hard, the leading up and then the during is probably too hard, but just like after the movie comes out to have her on. But I also know that that's going to be a trial because way more red tape, I think, than comics creators that I'll have to get in touch with their agent and do all that. But Here's hoping because I've already showed support. I was showing support altruistically, just that people need to get with it and not be complaining about such dumb stuff. So anyways, enough about that, (laughs) or maybe not enough, but I'm still interested in what this story is going to be. I'm cautiously optimistic. So I'm good with the actress directors. Maybe. I mean, like I said, I saw bad boys for life and story wise, because it's the writer from Birds of Prey, it's kind of like a 3070, just because I went into Birds of Prey thinking to myself, okay, this is not the Birds of Prey that I've been reading, but I don't want to do that with Barbara. I don't want to go in thinking to myself, okay, keep your mind separate. This is a different Barbara Gordon. I hope that it stays true, true to that character. So cautiously optimistic. Okay, well, next up, of course, is the Find Your Joy segment, which is also known as Shag's Mac and Cheese of Comfort and Joy. And that certainly was something that brought me joy, just that, number one, Batgirl's been cast. And then I tweeted out and and she responded to that tweet. I actually just got back from a UVA soccer game. They are back now. Got my season tickets. They trounced Richmond 9-0, I believe it was, which was woo. But uh, a good warm up to the season. We just have to hold on. We are number four nationally and number three in the ACC. And historically, we've had trouble with Florida State and at times UNC. And Florida State is our last game of the season. So here's hoping we can beat them, make a run for ACC champions and NCAA title. That would be amazing. But that has been fun. 
And video game wise, I've been playing Days Gone, which I think I've had Days Gone the longest game I've rented from Gamefly so far because it, it's open world and it is pretty long. There's so many missions. I was asking one of my friends, Jason, like, am I halfway yet? And he asked, are you at the southern map? And I said, there's a southern map. So it's it's an interesting story. I do have some some quibbles with it. There's definitely some glitches and weird like technological stuff. Like I was going across a bridge just to obviously get to the other side and he falls right through the bridge and yells and I lose health. And then I thought, okay, maybe it was just a weird glitch. But then I got to my spot and had to go back across the bridge and it fell through again. And I'm looking at this bridge. It's not completely rendered. So it's as if the bridge is broken. I tweeted out a picture and someone said, can't you see the crack in the middle? And I said, I can, but it should be a fully formed bridge. It's just weird stuff like that. Or the story, which I overall really enjoy, there are certain moments where something will happen or someone will say something. And then like you start a new mission and it's like last time on because they repeat that. So there are weird things like that. But overall, interesting story. The hordes are super nerve wracking. I don't want to encounter them. Unfortunately, I had to once, which was really hard. I died several times trying to get this one horde and it was a mandatory mission. And now I'm stuck in a cave trying to figure out how to even what's that called spawn this horde. So there's another glitch. I can't tell why the horde isn't coming, even though I'm told that it's coming and I can't go anywhere without defeating them. So the hordes are nerve wracking. I would stay away from them if I could, but I recommend, yeah, I recommend it. I mean, it's taking me time to beat.com or whatever it was called told me it was 30 hours. And I feel like I've put in way more than that. But once I play it, I really do lose time with it. Like I really get engaged and involved with it and and just want to keep going and see where it goes. So that's a sign of a good game at least. So I, I shan't complain too much about it. So I think mostly that's it. Just trying to think of other things. Went to Bush Gardens with two of my former students that are siblings. That was a lot of fun. And I guess as a, a public awareness message, <laughs> continue to wear your masks, people, because the Delta is coming to get people. I'm hearing of so many people who have been vaccinated and are getting COVID. So definitely get the booster when it comes out and continue to be safe around others. So, okay. So I have one quickie. And then, of course, the reviews here. I do have a couple back rolls, but as remember, Donovan said, he's done. He's done with back roll. So that's his own thing. So if I have any problems or if I speak poorly of Cass, <laughs> it's on him to that he's not here to defend her. So my quickie is from May 2002, The Titans, 39, Picking Up the Pieces, writer Jay Faber, Pensor Barry Kitson, inker Rich Faber. A colorist Gregory Wright and Heroic Age. And the comicsology synopsis was after the devastating events of the Titans number 38, who knows what happens? I didn't read it. The DEO kids return home to the orphanage to take a breather while the Titans get their first taste of dark nemesis. So Babs is in here. Dick and Babs are having a movie night, which is interrupted twice, once by Nightwing acting like a zombie and not reacting to the movie. You kind of see these three parallel panels of Dick just not reacting at all and Babs is laughing and crying and all of that. 
but he's worried about keeping secrets from the Titans. And then the second time they're interrupted is Oracle gets a call from an informant about a group called Dark Nemesis. And Dick ends up taking the job for the Titans and Babs demands a rain check on the date. So at least we can see them dating in the Titans. And also, I wish I had some screen caps from this, but I read this online. There are two women on the Titans. And I don't know that I can remember either of the people. I didn't know who they were. And then I read more closely and one of them, I did know who it was, but the other person I couldn't, and now it's not going to help you, but they're discussing some bad love choices. And it's such a bizarre conversation that I don't know if it's because it's written by a man or it's like just a writer period who, who is not aware of what he's writing, but these bad choices are sleeping with their mom's fiance or I should say her mom's fiance and that because she says something like what you know well you're not sleeping with your mom's fiance and the other one's like well you know I was dating someone with the brain of a 14 year old and I'm like what's happening here and then the other one goes but that's you know you didn't know it's okay to blame yourself and I thought how many things how many people could potentially use that excuse of course you know that I didn't know but that actually does bring up a good point which I have brought up I think in the past just about sexual assault in general that we do continually need to educate especially younger generations I think we we have a responsibility to do that because I didn't know is potentially a legitimate excuse for them because they're not being taught that, you know, not if, if no isn't being used or if perhaps the, the predatory party is using some other tactic, like, you know, you're not cool unless you dot, da, 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 da. They don't realize that using that tactic is in fact, and getting someone to perform some sort of sexual service is in fact sexual assault. So in that case, yes, but in in the terms of this conversation in the Titans, it was quite bizarre. So I recommend reading it if only for those two pages to, to talk to me about that. Okay, so now the actual reviews. So we are going to be doing Batgirl 26 28 and then birds of prey 42 and 43 and just a reminder if you think why why am i skipping around of course there were issues that were a part of fugitive and murderer so i don't need to cover those again we already talked about them donovan and i and so i'm just going to do the ones that i skipped so first up is backroll 26 cover date may 2002 writer jonathan peterson penciler vince giorano yeah, Giorano, inker Jesse Delperdang, and colorist Jason Wright and Digital Chameleon. It has been four days since Batgirl fought Lady Shiva, and she's still sleeping off her injuries. A member of the cult dedicated to Shiva takes a hostage and calls out Batgirl, so Spoiler decides to confront him, hoping he will mistake her for Batgirl, rather than risk angering him by sending Nightwing or Robin. Reluctantly, <laughs> Oracle agrees. Spoiler imagines Batgirl giving her a pep talk, she lures the cultist away from Gazette Square and is hostage. However, she accidentally falls into the temple where Batgirl defeated Shiva. The cultist says this is the perfect place to regain his lost honor because he fled rather than accept death at Shiva's hands like his master did. Spoiler refuses to kill him, so he believes she wants to fight him to the death. The man quickly gains the upper hand and realizes she is an imposter. But after another lecture by the imaginary Batgirl, Spoiler knocks him out and returns to the clock tower where Batgirl is is still asleep. Okie dokie. So talk about the cover first. 
which actually really works well. I mean, overall, it's not like a super exciting cover, but once you read the story and understand, well, I guess once you read the story, you can better understand and appreciate this particular cover. So of course you have this acolyte or this worshiper of Shiva and you've got... (laughs) Man, Steph is really beat up there. Uh, I'm sure people, this is almost like PTSD or like pre-PTSD for war games, but she's really beat up in a bad way. Mask is all ripped. And then you have Cassandra really washed out in the back. I should say back roll washed out in the back. And that works really well. When I was looking actually for covers for the cover for my episode cover image, I wondered why it was like this and and whether I needed to find another image online. But it makes sense knowing that in the story, because at first you don't know, you think that back roll actually pops up and is talking to spoiler and giving her a pep talk. But you quickly, I think, re-engage and, and understand that Will Backrow would, number one, probably never want <laughs> Stephanie to be doing this because she, she would probably just knock her out as we saw she did in Murder. And then number two, I don't think she, she would be speaking as well as she had been. So the specter of Backroll is ever-present in the book and then on this cover as well. So that's well done. It's really interesting. We have this flashback, of course, of the fight, which is good. Well, I don't know. Did we need it? It's a good question. But actually, it could be almost like that was Batgirl telling the story to Barbara. Because one of my, my thoughts actually was she really casually just tells the story of what happened Steph asks, so what exactly happened? And Bab says, I'm not sure. They fought at some temple devoted to the worship of Shiva and Batgirl won. But, oh, but first Shiva killed her and then brought her back to life. And which is one of my favorite panels uh, afterwards because there's this pause of silence. And then (laughs) Steph goes, what? And Babs is, you know, shrugging kind of thing, but just really casually. And so I thought, you know, what what does that story time look like of Cass giving a play-by-play? of the fight to Babs. And potentially it's that, right? Because if we had read 25, do we really need a catch up of, you know, last time on Batgirl? No, but this could be, you know, how maybe she portrayed it. And plus we also didn't see at the end of 25 is just that top panel with Cass and Shiva laying side by side. So then afterwards, you actually see how she got up and she walked out and everything. And somebody appears in the doorway as well. So we know Shiva's taken in by someone. We don't know who. So there you go. So I love that reaction of of Steph. And (laughs) this page right here where Steph is reasoning quite rightly, I suppose, that Sending somebody off like Nightwing or Robin could arouse suspicion. So it probably needs to be a female, which I do have a question. But <laughs> she goes off. She says, don't be so worried. I've gone against up against tough guys before. This is what Batman trained me to do. Piece of cake. And perhaps she's just cavalier because of the background. You've got Barbara smack in her head, which is always uh, really interesting. But, I, you know, it is while she, this reasoning seems pretty good, you know, about like, look, if this guy, if Batgirl doesn't show up, there's going to be problems and I need to show up and not a guy. But I do wonder how the destroyer of the destroyer of worlds knows that it was a female who took down Shiva unless there were reports. 
or he had seen the the fight from afar. I don't know. So that's just a question that I would have because her reasoning, Steph's reasoning on why she needs to go makes sense as long as it makes sense that the destroyer of the destroyer of worlds knows that there's a female involved. Okay. While Steph is flying around, there's this, again, if you're watching YouTube, you get to see all this, but there is a billboard in the top left corner. It looks like the Powerpuff Girls, like an off-brand of Powerpuff Girls. So I thought that was interesting. And then, yeah. So this specter, the specter of Cass, when she first popped up, I thought, whoa, 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 what's going on here? But it's really interesting how the specter works. Number one, art-wise, and I, I guess specifically coloring-wise, works well because there is a faintness to the color, certainly not as bold black as we're used to with that costume. So that's a bit of a heads up. But it, it, she comes through and a different, mo- well, yeah, there's a smile. She has a <laughs> smile too often. There's another tip off, but she comes through and really speaks to Cass at that moment. So in this first moment here, Cass really needs someone to give her confidence in here. And it, before she jumps off and, and goes after this guy and, and the specter is saying, Batman trusts you, Oracle trusts you. You just need to trust you. You can do this. Later on, there's some sarcasm. So Steph has, and Steph performs actually pretty well, I would say, against this guy. He lands a couple hits on her, but in the beginning, which is when, yeah, that that all happens. But when he's going, like, she is able to miss him, like, really pulling some Cassandra Kane moves here, not engaging, being more defensive, just moving out of his way, using his physics against him but of course when he lands a hit which he thought was impossible he knew that it was the fraud and and then he is able to lay into her and for some reason maybe that hit is also what brings her confidence down as well and then at the moment when she her confidence is pretty low the specter comes in and really adds to that lowness like she she brings the confidence to a nader almost nice job you really showed him guess i was wrong after all you couldn't do it But now she's defending herself, which is really interesting. So when the specter comes, she almost plays opposite to it. So the first time she's down on herself, doesn't know if she can do it. She's doubting it. The specter comes. Yeah, you can. Here, she's pretty happy with what she did. Like she was doing better than she thought, stronger than I expected, she said. Oh, you know what? She's talking about that other guy. But I feel like probably in the moment she was also pretty happy with what she was doing. And then the specter goes on the opposite lens and was like, gosh, you can't do anything right. Can you? So, Oh man, I can't believe he had faith in you talking about Batman, of course, saying you failed, but that is almost an adverse effect, right? Because sometimes when you tell somebody you're worthless, yes, it might beat them down, but also like for me, you know, if you're stubborn, it's going to make you want to prove that person wrong, which she does. She lands a hit. And she runs off and does a pretty cool move and knocks him out. Worship that. Oh, man. And so, yeah, this this last page, I really enjoyed. She comes back. 
which is surprising. She's uh, Babs asked, so it went well. Oh, I wouldn't say that, but it came out okay in the end. No major problems, though. No, no major problems, which is interesting just because Babs lets her go off, but doesn't keep communication tabs with her, which seems a bit unrealistic. I think she probably would have. And then <laughs> she goes into the room and Batgirl says, hey, nice job. And she says, really? You really? And then she realizes that that Cass is there. So I think even though 28, which we'll get to, we see this relationship blossom a bit more. I think in this particular issue, you see that there's something about Batgirl slash Cassandra that Stephanie really looks up to, even though Stephanie got abused by Cass. It might be because they're peers, you know, at least in age. It's another young woman on the team, someone that she can have a relationship with potentially it's also some you know someone who has the approval of batman and that's something that stephanie really strives for and desires so perhaps i think she just looks up to steph or Cass in so many ways so i i it's really it speaks volumes the fact that that was the specter that appeared to her and, and talked her through and she even sees it at the end that she she hangs out with her uh on the bedside as well so i'm interested to see i mean i know how it develops i can't necessarily remember everything but just interested to see how this particular relationship develops in the future because i, I think there's admiration on one side and then stephanie can provide something for Cass on the other side, which we'll see soon. Okay. So out of 10 Cass Spectres, I would say that this is eight out of 10 Cass Spectres. Okay. So next up is number 28. This one actually has a subtitle called Die, Batgirl, Die. And the writer is Kelly Puckett, the penciler Damian Scott, inker Robert Campanella, colorist Jason Wright, and Digital Chameleon. With Batman missing, there's no one to train. Oh, sorry, July 2002 is the cover date. With Batman missing, there is no one to train. Spoiler, Batgirl agrees to train her, impressed by her perseverance, and the two bond over their abusive and criminal fathers. Batgirl is on patrol when she goes up against Force 14, but their supervisor, Sensor, sends her home when he sees that she is injured. Batgirl is wrapping her ribs when Spoiler comes by in civilian clothes to tell her that she has decided to be Spoiler-less and won't need Batgirl to train her anymore. Batgirl sadly says goodbye to her friend. Okay, so let us share the screen. Here we go. So this cover reminds me of Batman Beyond. In particular, that one character, shoot. I think he was an African tribesman. Ah, oh, I can't remember his name, but I feel like he had tattoos and he had a bow staff. I can't remember. I'm sure someone will will remind me for sure. But yeah, it just reminds me of that. But here, if we look at this particular cover, we've got these three, which without reading, you don't know who they are. I don't even know who after reading who Force 14 is. So I, hopefully that will be. And then... She is being drowned underwater, which this is one of those covers that is false advertising because that doesn't happen in the particular story. So really interesting intro. You know how I and I've told Donovan how there are just some parts that are super confusing. You're watching this close up of this man wondering what's going on. And then you just 
turn away and, and go to something else entirely. And here's Cass beating up on a, a dummy there. But here, this is this issue. I'm just going to spoil spoil it right now. This issue I really love because while 26, I think you start to see how there could be a relationship and why there might be a relationship and then some hijinks at 27. I think that's when she gets knocked out and everything. 28 is really like, oh, there's definitely potential for a relationship here. Let's see where this goes. Like they're on more equal footing than you would imagine. So she wants to train. Cass is like, no, she's too busy. She's got her own training. (laughs) And Steph says, pretty please, I'll be your best friend, which is said jokingly, but honestly for Cass, she could be her only friend, you know, that that could be something really big. Uh, but she says, you won't last and then try me and then proceeds some of the most hilarious montages ever where they're fighting. And this is similar to what I was talking about in the previous issue that Cass doesn't really have to do much. She uses Steph's physics against her. She Cass is pretty defensive and all of that. Look at that, that facial expression and everything. And then at the very end, Steph throws up <laughs> after the training and <laughs> golly. And she's kind of hanging on Cass for support and Cass might have a disgusted look on her face, but she goes, she says same time tomorrow. And Cass, I think seems pretty shocked and says, sure. And so the same stuff happens, different outfits, potentially Uh, maybe Steph being a bit more active in that and offensive since she elbows her in the, in the stomach and Cass also giving a little smile. Then of course we have that strange man. Yeah. More vomit. (laughs) So I love this just because of how they're getting along that Cass is certainly a much better fighter than Steph, but, but Steph keeps going and despite the vomiting and Cass admires that about Steph. I think Steph can learn a lot from Cass and Cass appreciates someone that again, appear that is trying to, to keep up with her. And then we have this really great moment here where Stephanie is thinking that Cass isn't going to understand that she has that Steph has a, a villain father and she's got to deal with all that. And, oh, well, wait, Cass actually does also have a father like that. And so they can bond over that assassins. They start laughing, all that. Steph says, when my dad was mad at me, he'd lock me in the closet. What did yours do? And she said, shot me. And then they're all they're laughing about that. So empathy, compassion, potential, you know, going back to an episode I talked about before, What was that that I was talking about shared trauma and should a relationship be built off a shared trauma? Romantic, I think I was talking about. But here we've got, you know, two friends that share a similar trauma. And so they can they can talk about it and then just the absurdity of it. Also, they can laugh at it, which is probably helpful and cathartic as well. The side story, I feel like is a bit confusing, if only because it's so shadowy and secretive and, you know, intentionally, intentionally. So 
but this guy here, you know, it says at one point that uh, sent her on your way. And I don't know how the man sent Batgirl towards the crew. It's clear she sees something in this particular shot, but I don't know how. I don't know how she knows that they're in this particular building, this Force 14. Speaking of Force 14, who are they? <laughs> Why did the man stop the fight at the end here? Three on one, man. They kind of look like also... Big Hero 6. So he stops this fight. He lets Cass go, tells her to go, really. And then Cass listens, right? Uh, he says, you were swinging and your line slipped and you landed hard injuring your ribs. Go home now. And she does. So I was thinking, this is very bizarre. Why is she doing this? But he could either, because I've been watching a lot of vampire diaries, be a vampire and being compelling her or a metahuman of some sort and actually... Yeah, has some sort of power that is able to convince her to go because look, here she is wrapping her her ribs and she says that it's dumb that what what happened once Steph asks. So potentially, yeah, she doesn't remember this fight. So I guess we just need to wait and see. It was just a, a, a mystery. I didn't need it in this book. I kind of just wanted to focus on Steph and Cass here. But yeah, it's really sad at the end. Steph is just walking away from training because of her own issues. And you can see how excited Cass was to have Steph pop up again. You know, stuff happens. People do have issues and they need to put some things to the side. But it's just a bummer because that relationship was blossoming. I think that was really fun. And then, uh, unfortunately, we have Cass being left alone again. She says bye. And then you can definitely tell that she's super sad about it. So uh, so here's hoping that it it develops more. I really liked it. I, I think that it's a really fun and beautiful relationship and they both bring different things to the table for sure. So I'm going to give it 9.5 out of 10 bilious vomits, which is something that I learned bilious because <laughs> of working in healthcare now. I almost gave it a 10 Donovan, but the reason I didn't is because of that bizarre side story with Force 14, but all of the stuff in cast off is definitely a 10 out of 10. Okay, so now I shall move on to my Birds of Prey, and I don't have things to share with you, I'm afraid, because I have actual physical copies of them. So we are doing 42, which is Karen's story, and the cover date, is, I should have said Karen's story, finally. <laughs> Gee whiz. Okay. So June 2002 is the cover date. Writer Chuck Dixon, penciler Glenn Fabry, inkers Glenn Fabry, Sandu Floria, and colorist Wildstorm. Power Girl is at the hospital bed of the sleeping. Wow, this is incorrect, actually, because remember, we found out his name was Edward instead of Theodore uh, of Ted Cord and tells him the story of her first team up with Oracle when Oracle asked her for help. So we're finally getting this. Remember how much Power Girl hates slash hated Oracle. Now we find out why. When Oracle asked her for her help, Power Girl was at a low point in her life. She still agreed and boarded a plane to Dubari. Oracle explained that the government of Kurak, Kurak? Correct. Correct. Recently had been overthrown by the military and General Rasam Harat had named himself president of Kurak. Thousands of people were fleeing the country via the port of Kizim, and it was Power Girl's mis mission to make sure that former female president Haiza Masharu 
was able to leave Karak safe as well. From Dubari, Power Girl continued the travel by flying on her own. She coordinated her recon mission with the captain of an American aircraft carrier. Musharu was not happy about Power Girl's support because the help of an American might have weakened her political position. Power Girl understood her point, but she just wanted to make sure Madam President did not get killed. It did not take long until General Harat launched his first attack. It consisted of two bombers, one of which was directed at the ship of Musharu, while the other was closing in on a ship with hundreds of refugees on board. Oracle reminded Power Girl of her mission, and with heavy heart, she dismantled one bomber while the refugee ship exploded. But all was for naught. General Harat had a plan B, and Musharu was shot only seconds later. Oracle tried to convince Power Girl that she did her best, but Kara or Kara still was devastated, and it took some time until she was able to forgive Oracle for putting her in that position. And I should say Karen, really. So we finally learn, oof, yeah, what's happening here. So if we look at this this cover here as well as I can, we've got Power Girl and Oracle. We have a really distressed Karen. Maybe tears kind of coming down. You can't tell if those are tears or shading, but you can tell definitely she's distressed. You have this smoking ship at the bottom there and uh, the choice that destroyed them is the, the subtitle of that. So a really appropriate cover, I think. The cover is great. The internal art I don't like, and it goes back and forth between like really unattractive. Like I feel like this is an unattractive thing to like, okay, that's, you know, that's not too bad if we turn. So it's, it's an inconsistent issue. I would say I didn't realize. So at the beginning, this is really, actually, I just thought of something. If you recall, Barbara, well, Oracle seeks out Dinah when Dinah was at her lowest and really didn't see any point to her life. And here Oracle, seeks out power girl when she's at her low and doesn't see much point to her life as well. So it seems like Oracle's got everybody's number and goes after everyone when they're easily manipulated and says like, you can make something of yourself. But I didn't realize how or when power girl got depowered until I read justice league Europe. And the whole thing really was pretty insulting. I mean, she's so powerful and seems just like misogynistic almost be like that. That character is too powerful. We got to depower her. I like the fact that she explains because Oracle asks, you know, oh, I just thought you would fly over there. She explains why flying long distances would be taxing. Oracle says something like Superman, you know, never, never complains. But that's almost another dig because Superman now is more powerful than Karen, whereas they would have been on the same page. But just the fact that, yeah, you can't really take stops if you're over the ocean and it might be fun for a little bit, but after a while it's, it's a lot. Uh, she's definitely ogled by the boat of seamen, which I thought were just like a bunch of, uh, a bunch of shags almost. <laughs> There's like one where this guy's looking at her and oh, this other one where they're all waving to her. I'm like, yeah, we'll get all those, those irredeemable shags right there. I like the similarities between Musharu and Karen that they are both women without a nation. And I feel like we could have potentially had more of a discussion on that, but maybe uh, Dixon didn't want to spend as much time because Musharu does make a good point of, you know, I don't want any American interference, which, you know, talking about now in Afghanistan and all that stuff that's going on is really uh, timely. But Karen really speaks up. Let's see if I can find this here. 
I'm a citizen of America, but I'm a native of a country that doesn't exist anymore. You and I have a lot more in common than you think, Madam Musharo. And she, politics, obviously. And that, you know, if you get killed and the whole region blows up, who's going to come in and spill their blood to set things right? If not me, then some other American or British soldier. And then Musharo says, you've made your point. So I feel like there is definitely some political... (laughs) commentary there that it does seem like a lot of nations get their fingers in Middle Eastern countries. And so that's certainly something that's happened here. So Karen's like, if it's not me, it's going to be somebody else, which is which is pretty true. And at least have someone that may be empathetic to your cause or at least have a similar background. So it won't be as bad. So oof, the big thing about this, and now we understand why Karen hates Oracle is because she forced her to make this choice that she didn't really have a choice. Well, uh, it's so hard. Okay. She forces her. She says, stay on mission. The mission is to predict the president. So you've got to protect the president in order for the whole nation to survive. So unfortunately you've got to kill these thousands of men, women, and children, but think about the the rest of the nation. And so Karen potentially does have a choice. Uh, I do ask the question, why does she listen to Oracle? But Oracle is pretty persuasive in saying that the president is the hope of all the people. But there are there's some philosophy here for for sure. And I think that, you know, this could almost make for a great what if story. Well, it could make for a good it might be boring i don't know but you've got the utilitarian side right right which is doing the greater good so in that sense karen should have let the president die and she should have saved the refugees that were on that ship you have the kantian philosophy which is you know to do right in the moment which is potentially what she did there that in all of those people dying she's saving the rest of the nation by saving the president and then Karen, I think in that moment of her not doing anything and thinking about it, she is following something called moral particularism, which is really vacillating between the two and trying to come up with it and and figuring out which one is the best one. So in that, you know, unfortunately, she didn't know that the president was about to be assassinated with a gun. So, of course, she would have picked the refugees. But how man so 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 hard yeah really interesting moral quandary for sure and understandable why this has weighed heavy on her oracle i feel like was really cold coldly presented in this stay on mission she's asking and then at the end she asks what have i done but the question for me is is she saying what have i done in regards to all those people died oracle or what have i done forcing karen to do that and now karen's in a worse place than she was below and and you're the cause of it so totally believable i do wonder oh so uh, let's see there's a good uh, moment because you realize to whom she is speaking at the very end she says i hated oracle for that easier than hating myself right and i feel like you know karen may also or should also hate herself for it because she made that choice And I think she could, she didn't know Oracle from Eve, I guess I'll say. So she could have gone off mission and saved the refugees. I do wonder though, in terms of this whole story, why now? Issue 42. I'm trying to think back actually when we first encountered this. It's been ongoing. Every time Power Girl has popped up, which has been a couple of times. Oh yeah, the Guy Gardner situation, man. 
every time frosty reception, it's been really, really bad calls, Oracle, witch, all of that stuff, but 42 poof. So why now, why do a hospitalized Ted, is it successful? So to these questions, I can't answer. I actually should tweet out to Chuck Dixon and ask him and it's too late now, but I can do it later on. But it's interesting that she's talking to a hospitalized Ted and I think part of it is because they, number one, she saved him. They were friends. Oracle called her to save him because she knew that she would because they are friends. And I think one of the reasons why Ted is he's hospitalized, he's comatose to a certain extent or unconscious. And so he'll just be a good listener because he won't comment. And they have someone in common being Oracle and also the the vigilantism. And it's probably someone that she respects and loves. So someone that she can really talk to and bear her soul. So that's probably the why. As for why it took 42 issues. I couldn't tell you, but I think I'll be on the lookout to see if now that we've crossed this bridge of understanding what happened and her feelings on it and her getting out there, we now need to see what, what is this relationship going to be like? Because I think that's one step. The second step I think is she really needs to have a a face-to-face conversation with Oracle. I don't even know if she knows who Oracle is. It's a good question. I don't think she does. Even on that mission with the group, was Oracle there? Hmm. <laughs> Anyways, they need to have a, a face-to-face conversation that is not just passive aggressive, but just like all out aggressive or at least having having the feelings out there. And is it su- successful? I think the story overall or like understanding is successful, but I would like to see more. And I and I hope we do. I hope we get to see more of the repercussions of this with their relationship and again, having a conversation. So Karen asked some good questions at the end. You play the vigilante game. Did you ever regret it? Was there a time your best wasn't enough? Did anyone suffer for that? I feel like for every hero, the answer is yes. I wish, like I said, Karen and Babs could talk about it because we know Babs's back girl has made mistakes, but I wonder now if Barbara would stick with her decision that she made in regards to Musharu and the refugees or own the mistake now that she knows the outcome? Or do you think it's just, would it be just be pointless to her? Like, I know what you want me to hear, but kind of a Batman answer. I know what you want me to hear, but it it changes nothing. Nothing can change what happened. So really interesting. I'm glad we got it. I wonder why now and what will happen later. So I'm going to give this seven and a half out of 10 Sophie's choices. The art waffles between good and bad. It was a slow beginning, but I think that slow beginning gives us a glimpse into who Karen is and why she wants a new start and makes that false start, unfortunately, that failure all the more tragic. And a longer discussion, certainly between the president and Karen would have been interesting about, you know, really having them on the same footing. But perhaps Dixon, you know, only wanted to criticize U.S. involvement in foreign governments so much. So he he wanted to tread lightly on that. So there you go. Okay, the final issue that I'm doing is Birds of Prey 43. And this is called Blind Spot. Cover date is July 2002. Writer Chuck Dixon, penciler Dave Ross, inker Andrew Peepoy, and colors Wildstorm. Oracle and Nightwing are going through. Oh, yeah. Let me think how to do this. So uh, I've done the majority of this with Donovan. 
Okay. I guess I'll do the whole thing, but I'm only focusing on the death stroke stuff. So just be aware. Oh, that's ironic. Okay. So Oracle and Nightwing are going through the new evidence of somebody entering the Batcave, Wayne Manor, and altering Bruce's and Vesper's journals two weeks before the murder, but they aren't getting any closer to discover the identity of the person who did it all. At that moment, Deathstroke finishes one more mission successfully. After talking to Robin and Alfred, Barbara goes to a private room to communicate with Dinah, who is learning the details of her future mission with Dr. Orenstein. He explains to Dinah that his laboratories have received information about a man who was rescued at sea, but who was declared lost along with the ship he was on. In 1944, to add to the mystery, the man's immune system was completely different from a normal human and that the ship he was in contained samples from biological weapons from the past. Dinah suspects there is something involving time travel and the doctor agrees, leaving her to do her job. On another corporation or at another corporation, Deathstroke is hired to investigate the same case. Oracle calls the Batman family and tells them that they already have enough proof that Bruce is innocent, but is useless for any legal procedure as it will reveal Batman's identity. Nightwing is satisfied with knowing for sure that Bruce didn't murder Vesper. At her place, Dinah prepares to go out on her mission and spoiler complains that she needs training and that she should tag along with her on the mission. Black Canary refuses and tells Stephanie to go back to the Bat Boys because she is talented enough to deal with them. Elsewhere, a man called Slim hires Eddie Fires to investigate the mysterious case of the Phantom Island. And before they make a deal, Green Arrow appears, Connor Hawk. And tells them that he is also part of the mission. Okay. I don't have too much to talk about with this. I didn't like that we had two different things going on here. It was too much and too jerky. So that is my main complaint with it or criticism. I think it would have mostly been fine if not for the fugitive tie-in. I think that's really what pulls your attention away from the other story or vice versa. The other story pulls your attention away from the fugitive. So I wish that there would have been a split up, but it's like, I guess it was necessary in order to not have to expand page count to set up the story in the next issue. And it's just like a prologue, but it was just, it was too much. I really liked that. Babs calls Dinah at one point just to talk, just to talk about things that aren't dealing with what's going on. And so I feel like, again, there's another point to what their friendship actually looks like. At one point, Dinah references the story with Hunky McHunkerson. I think that was his name. It might have been something else. But (laughs) she certainly seems to be called for these bizarro missions that involve time travel and things like that. There might be dinosaurs involved, so I'm looking forward to that. And then Dinah was called Cassandra as her code name, which is confusing now that we actually have a Cassandra, but I remember when that was happening, but kind of seems like was Barbara running out of names. There's so many classical names you could have used. You could have used Hecuba. You could have used... Creusa, I mean, that would have been digging deep for people. But if you're keeping with the trope, Helen, golly. Yeah, I could have gone with any of the goddesses. Oh, well. Okay. Another time mission. Is it getting too weird for the birds of prey? I don't know. I, I think for me, I really enjoy like what we saw with Karen's story. Like that's the type of stuff that I imagine them getting into these Kurak and and all the other Kazakhstan. I can't remember. I think that's an actual place. But the other places, 
I can't remember my favorite place that uh, I always talk about. Kandak. So, you know, places like that are, are going off or other places in the U, but no, we've got to do some time stuff. So it is a little weird, but now we're getting some other people involved like Deathstroke. Oh, wait. <gasps> Deathstroke was on that mission where he was totally left behind. Oh, boy, this should be interesting. But we've got Eddie Fires and Connor Hawk Green Arrow as well. So it should be an interesting story that we're getting set up. Yep. What's the worst that could happen? I say Dinah Deathstroke, Eddie Fires, and Green Arrow are all going to the same spot. And then the final thing I have to say, again, I don't have to say a lot because it's only what half of the issue is the Steph and Dinah stuff I thought was pretty cool. They've been hanging out. If you've missed the, the Fugitive Murderer, she kind of took her under her wing to a certain extent and begrudgingly took her out and cleaned out the house with all the villains and all of that stuff. It was pretty cool. But she wants to go along, which totally tracks with what's been going on in this book. Why can't I find the page? Here we go. And uh, you're supposed to be training me. And (laughs) we're not partners. I'm not your mentor. I promise to show you a few things. But I'm not going to let you tag along to a place that could get you killed just to spare your feelings. But what I really liked is that even though she's really sarcastic, you know, let yourself out the way you came in, go back to the Bat Boys. She does say you're very talented, Stephanie, and driven, and you're well-adjusted that uh, something that spooky new Batgirl is not. Yeah, she seems disappointed with all this. You see that, the wow. And then all of a sudden she's like, the Black Canary said I was talented. So, yeah, I think that's great. You know, coming from Black Canary who you know, train Batgirl to a certain extent. I think that that means a lot. And Black Canary certainly is one of the best martial artists. So I hope though for Stephanie, this is as if it hasn't happened, but I hope that she takes that talented and that gives her confidence, but it doesn't make her overconfident that she doesn't need to, to do much. But, oh man, it doesn't really track well, does it, with the Batgirl issue, which is interesting. The Batgirl, so this came out in July, and Batgirl 28 was also July. I don't know, because all of a sudden she said, I don't have much time. I got to pull back on the training, but here she wants to do some more training. So that doesn't necessarily track, but at least you can see what Steph is trying to accomplish here and where her head is at. Okay. Okay. That's it. Wait, did I agree that? Oh, nope, I did not. Okay, so uh, Birds of Prey 43. I'm going to give this 6 out of 10 time-displaced soldiers. So I guess we'll see in the upcoming arc, I assume it'll be the next arc, what is going on with this guy from 1944. Okay, well, I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I will be covering some modern quickies, including Batman 111. Nightwing 83 and Batman Urban Legends number six. But first, it's Zias's Radio Hour featuring Heartless by Vic. Okay, see you guys soon.
gave me the keys Now I can't find my way There's just ashes at my feet I guess I got what I wanted Can we go back to where we started? Need to know just where my heart is Thinking back it makes my heart sick How could I have been so heartless? I was heartless, heartless Can't hold you got me heartless I was heartless, now I'm heartless Show me where my heart is Okay, welcome back. So we are here to do some quickies. So I'll start with Batman 111, The Cowardly Lot, Part 6. Writer James Tiny in the fourth artist, which apparently he's leaving DC Comics, BTW. So that's sad. But anyways, artist George Jimenez and colors Tomu Mori. Mayor Nakano announces a crackdown on mass vigilantes just as the magistrate moves against the Unsanity Collective. Batman attempts to avert a bloodbath while the Scarecrow makes his final move. Fear State is about to begin. Backup Ghostmaker faces his most gruesome adversary yet, the horrific Razor Line. And that is the publisher synopsis from DC Comics. And I forgot to say that the synopses for Batgirl 26 and 28 and Birds of Prey 42 and 43 came from the DC Wiki. So thank you. So in Batman, Oracle is just following the fight along and Batman asks for her help in dismantling Peacemaker's gear when he's down and too bad that never happens. So not too much of the Babs appearance there. And then we move on to Batman Urban Legends number six. And she was in the Jason story, but I'm going to focus on the story called Solo. Writer Joshua Williamson, artist Trevor Harrison, and colorist Rain Barito. Oracle locates some Batman weaponry missing since the Joker War and calls in her old friend Dinah Lance to help retrieve it. Fists will fly, the canary will scream, and a stunning new mission begins. The ending will leave readers in shock and awe. <laughs> okay, so I do want to at least show this. That remember, Don and I were talking about queer baiting and will they, won't they, with Tim? Well, it looks like they will. It looks like there's a, a date. It says uh, this guy here, can't remember what his name, Bernard. Bernard, yeah, there's his name. I was hoping you would. Tim Drake, do you want to go out on a date with me? And then Tim looks like he's blushing a bit. You know how I like anime blushing? Yeah, yeah, I think I want that. So, Tim, Tim's bisexual. It's now in canon. So there you go. I have no dog in the fight, so I have nothing to say about that. I think that's fine. I'm sure that people are pro and con about it. But this, yeah, so this urban legend story was really interesting, starting off with Dinah and and Ollie, and then she getting contacted 
this shadowy organization, I guess I should say, a company called Trust buying up all of this stuff. And then she's got a, or uh, Dinah just fits the bill for somebody that could be contracted by Trust. So she needs to go in and <laughs> she wasn't going to. And then <laughs> I don't know, Babs. And then asking her, which is really interesting, actually, because Bar sorry, I'm all over the place, but Barbara is wearing her back roll suit, but is sitting in an oracle chair, which is really interesting, and then puts her glasses on and everything. But she Barbara explains the reason why she can't go out is because Gotham needs her here. And so it, it really fits, you know, the MO with with uh, they know you, Donna. I, they'd probably recruit you. And then the thing that convinces her is Bab says you get the usual gear and all the accounts fully stocked and funded. And then Donna <laughs> considers and says, what about the car? And she finally gets it. This whole story totally feels classic birds of prey with the intro and then the setup for the mission the the fun go back and forth between dinah and babs and then this car like really classic chuck dixon and so she goes to this party and all of a sudden some people break in she saves this woman you actually find out in the end this was all oh yeah her stiletto heel got lodged in some guy's face which was really interesting but she can totally fight with high heels there Luckily, she has the fishnets. So she ends up getting recruited. You find out at the end, actually, that Trust hired these people as a as a play, basically. Trust hired them to, like, fake the assassination or attempt the assassination, I guess, knowing that, that Dinah would be there and everything. So Babs is with Dinah to a certain extent, and then she's telling her communication is going to get cut out, and now she's all alone. And then this woman, who seems pretty suspicious is talking about trust and it's a collection of people dating back hundreds of years who have worked to keep some of the worst elements of humanity at bay. And so she wants her to join trust. And uh, she's saying that there's going to be somebody else working. Oh, so a big thing is that Donna's parents were also involved in trust. So I think that this gets her interested as well. And then she says that you're going to have a partner. And so we don't know. She was thinking like, maybe it'll be Ollie or something. And I'm just thinking, you know what? It's probably Deathstroke, why I got to the bottom of the page. And then in fact, I turned the page and oh yeah, <laughs> it's Deathstroke. And Dinah happens to be his uh, babysitter. Deathstroke, you've got to be bleep kidding me. So like I said, ironic given the fact that we just had a death stroke thing and they just have like a antagonistic relationship to be sure. And it looks like, is he cleaning his katana sword with the cowl of Batman? That's kind of interesting. So anyways, there you go. Black Canary was there. That's when we find out all about that. And then Talia is uh, doing something. There's a shadow war coming. And it says it's continued in Deathstroke Inc. number one. So I don't know if I guess that's just this is just a way to bridge the gap. And this is like a pilot to get into Deathstroke. So I guess maybe Black Canary is going to be a side character in Deathstroke. But it felt so Birds of Prey like it was great. I thought it was really well done. And, and I was interested, engaged and got all the nostalgic feels. So there you go. That is Batman Urban Legends number six. And speaking of the feels, my final modern is Nightwing number 83. So I'll spend some 
time on this and you know there is a particular image, I think you'll know which image. Okay, so Nightwing, 83, Leaping into the Light, Part 6, writer Tom Taylor, artist Bruno Redondo, colorist Adriano Lucas. It's a fight for the soul of the city. Now that Dick Grayson has inherited more money than he could possibly need, he has an idea on how he can help the city with it, and it's time for him to announce it to the world. But with Bloodhaven so beyond saving, what idea does he have that could possibly save it? Meanwhile, an unexpected figure comes into play with the plan to buy the city and all the power that goes with it from Blockbuster. Things are about to get messy for new public figure Dick Grayson, but maybe he can enlist some help from his friend nightwing okay so first of all love this cover uh not only because of the sexiness of course but (laughs) i do really love i am an easy target for panels pages that show movement like this where a character is or characters are moving through a building and doing a particular action or having a conversation i remember this happening in hawkeye it had happened, I think, occasionally, especially, I think, in the Burnside run of Batgirl. It happened in She-Hulk. There were fun moments. And maybe Hellcat, was that her name? Patsy Walker? And yeah, so here we go. So I just like this, that he's he's getting changed. He swings in. He's got his bag changing. I, I don't know where he's throwing his boots there. Putting on his shirt. <laughs> his pants over his tights and then he goes down and he's got his his speech i guess my my name is dick grayson and i have an idea so we start off at the beginning just with blockbuster which is classic 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 blockbuster banging ready to bang down the door because he believes of course that dick's sister is in league with him and so they set up the fact that well you know I have to say that if these two weren't siblings, I think there would be some sort of they were trying to force a relationship on us. But the other thing is that I think you inherently believe that there's something suspicious about this particular person. And and I think he's been so I think he's gunshot, right? Because this has happened to him in the past. So he is probably worried about that as well. But she seems like, man, this is great. Got my brother. He's Blue Haven's guardian superhero. We can help each other bring this um, down. We actually find out that she's been helping out the FBI, right? But yeah, the double life, he, she plays on that and says, can't you believe that someone would have a double life? And I guess it's like the opposite, right? That a bad person acting. No, a good person acting as a bad person. So he's, he's open. And yeah, so what they did in order to basically keep the cover, her cover, is to tie them up and, and break out of them. I'm not sure what he, Blockbuster was trying to do. Like, I guess he just bursts out of there and somehow makes it. Then there's a nice little, oh, yeah. <laughs> so Oracle says, you're no shape to fight Blockbuster. You're right, Oracle. I'll ask him if he can come back at a more <laughs> convenient time. I mean, oh, the writing on this is just so much fun. Yeah, he, it's, this is, I mean, a really symbolic battle as well as being physical just because dick is is representing what blue haven could be in its best aspect and blockbuster is its current aspect and and just always being this terrible city because he owns everything right he owns the cops and everything it's just so corrupt so it's like the forces blue haven's good and bad battling it out 
Well, it's not a good time. Nightwing, we knew, was was on the men. So it's almost like in Marvel's Spider-Man for PlayStation, how he was really beat up after, I guess it was the fight with the Sinister Six. And then he's just like, I just got to keep going. And at first, the, the, your character is like, well, Peter is really slow moving with the controller. And then he gets, gets a bit better. But anyways. Here we go. I love this scene. I kind of tried to figure it out, but now his extremist sticks can basically turn into a like a trapeze, which is pretty cool. And he wraps up all of the people that were, which I guess were they cops? Probably. Yeah, SWAT. Blockbuster didn't lie. And then he wraps them all up. And uh somehow the the helicopter is still going. And then oh Barbara is still wearing the slapping shirt. So I guess that shows it's just all one night. But yeah, both Barbara and Tim are, are super, oh, super concerned. He finally rests. And then there's oh, a lovely moment. So you heard I have a sister. And even better, there's a chance that she's not evil, which that's the knee jerk. I think reading this is that a new character is inevitably the evil one. And Bab says, I heard you need to talk about it. Hello. <laughs> and then she caresses his chest and says good night dick and then he wakes up there's another potentially sexy scene but his robe is covering too much of him and he he slept for two days no sight of heartless which of course we've done but now he's he's got his own mission he's got to start to to different he's got to talk to different people about his his idea, people who've devoted their lives to helping outside the system, which is Leslie Tompkins, people he loves, which are the teen Titans, the, I guess just the Titans, and then experts, which Lucius Fox, and then a friend. And so we have this really poignant, powerful, heartfelt, I mean, all positive words that I could throw at it conversation between dick and superman and i don't know i wouldn't be able to tell you how many times that this sort of conversation happens or these two people meet up because i'm so used to batman and superman talking but these two are so much on the same level i think their hearts are definitely in the right place whereas you have this dichotomy when you have batman talking with superman because they're just coming from two different places i feel like their end goal is the same, but I think how to get there is so different. But you just have like these two hearts of DC talking. And the fact that you can definitely tell Dick is enamored and, and he respects Superman so much, especially when Superman is saying, you know, I could you please check in on John and and that I think highly of you. And I think he also said something about Alfred too. Oh, you're a lot like him, you know? So, oh man. And, and the Superman looked up to, to Alfred and, and just shows that. And he talks about his idea and Superman approves. And he says that Dick will be the example will be the example and the example that he's setting will inspire others lifting people up basically. And if he's successful, the rest of the country, the rest of the world could see what's possible. So, and yeah, again, that moment of, could you please uh, check on John, give him some friendship and guidance. And Dick's like, are you sure, you know, I'm the person for the job. And, and Superman says, couldn't think of someone better than the job. So that, that was just such a great moment. I felt it's almost like, you know, a kid meeting their idol or something like that as well. And then you realize the idol 
also looks up to the kid kind of thing. So, and then we had this great moment between uh, Dick and Babs. Dick, Dick is, you know, having the feels uh, in terms of having some doubts and everything and, and a bit nervous and wishes he could wear that mask. And she takes the mask uh, from him and, you know, they talked for days about this and he knows what's going to happen. And does he have a name and everything? And then he says, Baz, before I go out there, I just want to say thanks for being here. There's absolutely no way I could have done this without your advice and your friendship and whatever happens next. And guess what happens next? <gasps> Shipper. I, I just died on your arms tonight. There must have been something you said. I just died on your arms tonight. So there's a kiss. There's a kiss. You can tell that she's the one who initiated it. He's kind of got the shocked eyebrows, but I do really like that. And then there's a smile in a silent moment. She says, go get him, boy wonder. So, man, whatever happens in this book. Yeah, I know. Inevitably, they always break them up. But for right now, it seems like the healthiest, almost, I would say the healthiest. I won't say that they've ever been, but for quite a long time, I would say that they are really healthy. And so I hope it has some staying power. Okay, so go get him, boy wonder. He has his talk about what he wants to do. This foundation aims to work with uh, the city to ensure no one is living on the streets by this time next month. And uh, simply because it's getting colder out, which totally makes sense, right? And then (laughs) we're cutting to all these different people and their reactions to it. And he's announcing it uh, then that it is called the Alfred Pennyworth foundation and then you have immediately immediately you've got the bat family chat group stephanie says wow tim says always raising the bar higher for the rest of us proud of you jason says nice work before you give it all away don't forget (laughs) you owe me 20 bucks damon says sorry what that that was vampire diaries right there damien says not that it's a competition but you win and then Cass just sends a bunch of emojis mainly like explosions it looks like some fire some yeah crazy 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 and then batman calls oh my gosh guys yes this isn't bad trick but just say you know you honored him today dick talking about alfred and that's man that's a great batman moment just you know that's as close as he's gonna get to well he says thank you so i think that good job bruce for for saying thank you and all of that And then Heartless, and I guess it seems like Heartless knows Dick. So this is mysterious. He made me who I am today. He also said, yes, my first, I owe him so much. You know this guy. Huh. So I'm interested to see what that is. Next is Fear State, which I think is also where Batgirl's costume is being debuted. So I'm interested to see what will happen there. But yeah, I almost forgot about Heartless as all of this other stuff was going on. Because there is kind of a lot going on in this particular book with his sister and Blockbuster, Heartless, and then his foundation and everything. But it's managed really well that it's not like Birds of Prey number 43 where he's jerking and goes back and forth. But this is an awesome issue, I have to say. Really emotionally centered and uh, weighty and great conversations interactions between people and of course shipping and everything 
highlight, even though the kiss is certainly a highlight, I think that that Nightwing and Superman conversation was just really beautiful. So again, we're just going really well with with Nightwing. So highly recommend. I think this is a book to buy, guys. If you are still on the fence about it, I really think that you should buy Nightwing (laughs) right now. Okay. So that is it for all the comics. So what do we have left? Anime watch list and then literature recommendations. And then we're done. Okay. So first of all, anime watch list. I saw the Shirobako movie which came out in 2020 and the film. So remember I watched the series. I talked about that on the last episode, I believe the film story is set four years after the events of the original Shirobako anime, where Aoi Miyamori keeps busy dealing with the ordinary troubles in her daily work at Musashino Animation. After a morning meeting, Watanabe talks to Aoi and puts her in charge of a new theatrical anime project for the studio. The project has unexpected problems, and Aoi is unsure if the company can proceed with a theatrical anime with its current state of affairs. While dealing with the, that anxiety, Aoi meets a new colleague named Kaide Miyai. She and the Mushani team worked together to complete the project. And it was really different because the majority of the people from the series had gone to other companies. So when you come in, they're just, I know it's just like Owie. Who else is there? There are many people that stayed there, like the director stayed and everything. So a lot of it is about like, can we gather the team back together, even though they're with other companies? Can we outsource to those particular people, even though they're with other companies? And yeah, getting the game back together. You know, she has some doubts and, you know, is this really what I want to be doing? Have I lost the joy of everything? So I recommend that whole series, to be honest. Okay. So I think that's it. So now I'm going to, oh, and by the way, that was two hours. So there you go. And I watched, I don't know that there's a dub. So I watched this up. So finally, we've got literature recommendations. And here we are. I haven't read a lot. I'm looking at this. Okay. So, oh, geez. First up is Slave Play by Jeremy O'Harris. And let's see what the synopsis is. The Old South lives on at the McGregor Plantation in the breeze, in the cotton fields, and in the crack of the whip. It's an antebellum fever dream where fear and desire entwine in the looming shadow of the master's house. Jim trembles as Kanisha handles melons in the cottage. Alana perspires in time with the plucking of Philip's fiddle in the boudoir, while Dustin cowers at the heel of Gary's big black boot in the barn. Nothing is as it seems, and yet everything is as it seems. One of the most erotic plays I have ever read, but the eroticism is laced with racism. And I don't want to give away what happens in whatever scene or whatever act it is, but everything is turned on its head. So it's really interesting. I kind of wonder what it would be like to see it and how like uncomfortable it would be. Because when I was reading, I'm like, oh, geez. How was this put on stage? So anyways, it's interesting. Then I read The Girls by Emma Klein and Northern California. There we go. During the violent end of the 1960s, at the start of summer, a lonely and thoughtful teenager, Evie Boyd, sees a group of girls in the park 
and is immediately caught by their freedom, their careless dress, their dangerous aura of abandon. Soon, Evie is enthralled to Suzanne, a mesmerizing older girl, and is drawn into the circle of a soon-to-be famous cult and the man who is its charismatic leader. Hidden in the hills, their sprawling ranch is eerie and run down, but to Evie, is it is exotic, throwing charged, a place where she feels desperate to be accepted. As she spends more time away from her mother and the rhythms of her daily life, and as her obsession with Suzanne intensifies, Evie does not realize she's coming closer and closer to unthinkable violence and to that moment in a girl's life when everything can go horribly wrong. So I enjoyed it, but it's also really uncomfortable. And it's made, I think that is compounded by the fact that Evie is 14 years old. So the stuff that happens, you're thinking, wow, this is really bad. And then you're thinking, oh, wait, she's 14. Oh my gosh, this is way worse than really bad. So there you go. Some girls do. I gave this five stars. I really enjoyed this. I, it popped up on my Amazon. Didn't really want to buy it. So I recommended it to my library and they said, you know what? We will take that recommendation. And then I was the first to read it. Morgan, an elite track athlete, is forced to transfer high schools late in her senior year after it turns out being queers against her private Catholic school's code of conduct. There she meets Ruby, who has two hobbies, tinkering with her baby blue 1974 Torino and competing in local beauty pageants, the latter to live out the dreams of her overbearing mother. The two are drawn to each other and can't deny their growing feelings. But while Morgan, out and proud and determined to have a fresh start, doesn't want to have to keep her budding relationship a secret, Ruby isn't ready to come out yet. With each girl on a different path toward living her truth, can they go the distance together? I won't spoil whether they do go the distance together, but I really, really liked that book. I thought that it was uh, realistic and down to earth and uh, shipperific as well. So I recommend it. And then another thing I gave five stars. I don't have this does not happen often. If we were villains by ML Rio. Oliver Marks has just served 10 years in jail for a murder he may or may not have committed. On the day he's released, he's greeted by the man who put him in prison. Detective Colburn is retiring, but before he does, he wants to know what really happened a decade ago. As one of seven young actors studying Shakespeare at an elite arts college, Oliver and his friends play the same roles on stage and off. Hero, villain, tyrant, temptress, ingenue, extra. But when the casting changes and the secondary characters usurp the stars, the plays spill dangerously over into life and one of them is found dead. The rest face their greatest acting challenge yet, convincing the police and themselves that they are blameless. I, wow, it was really smart. Um, The people you would consider pretentious just because they speak in... I don't know, couplets or just lines from Shakespeare, but it works so well. Like some situation will come up and they'll do it. And then the other person will respond. So it was written by a Shakespeare major. Can't remember where she went to school now, but yeah, really interesting. And then finding out, of course, about what actually happened and then just the relationships because it's this core, this like family of those students. So highly recommend those last two for sure. Okay. So this is it. Ha ha. You can send any questions or comments to backgirl the Oracle at gmail.com like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at backgirl the Oracle. Find the show on Google play and Stitcher as well. And subscribe to the show on YouTube for an uncut version where I hem and haw and things go wacky or space out. I don't know because of Zoom. Follow the Batman universe on Facebook and Twitter as well and support the Batman universe by subscribing to Patreon. 
Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Back Road Local, the Barbara Gordon podcast. I actually have no idea what I'm doing next month. I'm pretty sure it might just be like kind of standard stuff like I did this time. And keep on the lookout for an announcement. I will be, <laughs> this might be foolish of me, but I will be producing a limited series podcast, about 10 episodes. My plan is 10 episodes. And yeah, just stay tuned for what that will be and when it will start coming out. So I've already started my research and preparation for episode one, at least. So, okay. Well, thank you for listening. And until next time, continue to be safe and uh, wear your mask and get vaccinated and potentially the booster when the booster's out. I think the booster's out. So Try to get that as as soon as you can. But until next time, fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! I love a happy ending, don't you?